Good morning. I'm glad to see that I can still shut down even a golf clap. So <laughs> the, uh, it's been a while since I've been up here, so um, I feel really loud. Am I, am I loud out there? I'm not even getting wound up yet like Jeff was, and I'm already... That was a pretty amazing announcement, Jeff. I, I, uh, I was like, man, this guy is out of control. So... <laughs> um, you know, but like just to follow up on what Jeff said, if I mean, if you're if this is your first Sunday here, if you've been here forever, if you've been gone for a while and are just making it back, whatever the situation is, like I'd encourage you to come today. Uh, it's just a time for us as a church to celebrate God's faithfulness to us over the last 20 years, um, over this last year, and and you know, and when I when I speak about God's faithfulness, it's not a small thing because uh, it's not. Uh, Life in the church can be difficult sometimes. Life in this world can be difficult sometimes. And he's like, God's just been continually faithful to us for so many years. And it's worth celebrating. We're going to have a couple baptisms. Um, so come on out there today, 3 o'clock. And Pierre, my son-in-law, he grew up out there at Rock of Ages. And uh, he says that the slip and slide action at Rock of Ages is pretty epic, right, Pierre? That's true. Yeah, so show him your foot. <laughs> Did you? The <laughs> that wasn't from the slip and slide, but... Uh, <laughs> but uh, you guys should, you should you, make sure you come out today, three to six, uh, live music, food, fun. So, so, uh, I don't even think we need chairs. I don't see Sherry here. Um, they have, um, they have chairs, they have tables. I don't think you need chairs. Uh, you don't need to bring any food that's being provided. Uh, who, who was it? There's, oh, you're asked, right? Like bring your swimming suits. You can hit the slip and slide. So, uh, but other than that, you don't need, you don't need, uh, anything else. So, uh, just, just show up and, and, and enjoy being together and watch out for Bill. So, all right. Um, well back to, back to serious business then this morning, you know, again, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here over this summer. We've been having different guys teach and it's, it's fun for me to be back teaching. You can be praying for me as I go through it. Cause, cause I feel a, a little bit out of rhythm since I haven't done it for, I don't know, a month or two. And, uh, so, so I, I appreciate prayers, but you know, as we're studying through the book of second Timothy and, and this week we're in second Timothy chapter three, verses nine through 15. And last week, uh, Jay, open the open the scriptures for us and he talked to us about how how Paul in the beginning parts of chapter 3 is laying out for us the the kind of the the age in which we find ourselves in and the types of like the things that drive our culture in during the entire time from like between the the ascension of Jesus Christ after he he raised from the dead until his second coming we live in the overlap of the ages Jake said last week between the be, you know, from the first time when Jesus Christ came to be to be the salvation of the world, and when He returns one day um, in judgment over it. And in the meantime, like life in this world isn't always easy. And and what what we saw in the beginning parts of of chapter three was that was that people in this world that that their lives are controlled by misaligned loves. And in and in verses one and in verse, um, I guess where is it in, in verse? I don't know, somewhere else. Oh, verse four. In verse one and in verse four, the apostle Paul like identifies three false loves. And, and he says, there's this false love of, of self. There's this love of, of money. And then in verse four, there's this love of pleasure. And I was just like thinking to myself as Jake was teaching, like, 
if you were to describe like the three great loves of our culture today, like I think self money and pleasure would rank up there. And from those misaligned loves, if we, if we orient our lives around those things, all sorts of like problems come. And that's what was listed there in verses one through nine, because we have the, the love of self, the love of money, the love of pleasure. And then it says in verse four, rather than the love of God. You know, and so, so there's this world we live in has these misaligned loves. And in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul is going to contrast those that live by those misaligned loves um, with Timothy as he exhorts Timothy to, to be confident in the path that he's been walking so far in his life and to continue on it until the very end. And in fact, if you look at verse, um, if you look at verse 10 in, in your text, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, um, not all your Bibles start this way, but the two words in verse 10 are, you, however, that's in the Greek, you, however, and then also in verse 14, you, however, they both start, 10 and verse 14, both start with the phrase, you, however, and, and right before that is this depiction of like evil men that that are in this world. And so he's contrasting this path of foolishness that's described for us in verse nine. Look what it says. They will not make further progress for their folly will be obvious to all as also that of those two came to be. You know, there's this path of folly that doesn't go very far. It'll take you a certain amount of distance, but then it'll end. And Paul says, you, however, starting in verse, you know, in verse uh, 10, do something different. You know, it's important for us to, in this world where, where it's controlled by the love of self, the love of money and the love of pleasure rather than the love of God, that we, did, like, that we are able to discern the path that we're supposed to walk on. Because we could walk on this path of folly that doesn't go very far, or we could walk in the path of wisdom that, that, ultimately, um, that ultimately takes us into the presence of Jesus Christ and it's the path of salvation. You know, in fact, you know, Jesus even warned um, his disciples about this in, in Matthew chapter 7. And he says this, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. You know, and, and when we're in a world where everything is trying to con- convince us to go through that broad way that leads to destruction, we need to be able to discern and devote ourselves to the path of righteousness, this path of faithfulness to God and this path of wisdom. You know, our text is going to break out into, into two main sections. The first one is in verse 1, and, he's, and Paul is addressing this to Timothy, is that he can be confident in his path, and that's in verses t- um, 10 through 12. The path that he's been walking ha- is the right one. And then in verses 13 through 15, he must continue in that path. Um, and so once you stand with me, I'll read the text this morning. I'm going to start at verse nine and I'm going to read all the way through verse 15. Then we'll pray and then we'll get into our, our study formally then this morning. This is God's word for his church, but they will not make further progress for their folly will be obvious to all as also that of those two came to be. You, however, followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. And indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, 
continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom that you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for its um, that it's a light to our path, that it directs our steps, and that ultimately it gives us the wisdom that leads us to salvation in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I just ask this morning that you would empower me as I speak and open our hearts as we hear um, so that Jesus Christ could be proclaimed, so that people would, would live in him and find salvation in him. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You know, as we get into this, as we get into this text here in verses 9 and 10, I, I already pointed out the contrast between verse 9, that there's those who false teachers who live with those misaligned loves whose, whose folly won't take them very far. And then how Paul starts off talking to Timothy, he says, you, however, followed my teaching. And then he lists off nine different qualities. It's really interesting that, that Paul focuses Timothy on on the path that he's been following as as one of Paul's disciples. Like Paul trained up Timothy. Paul's writing this letter to Timothy as a as a young pastor and Paul knowing that his his time is about to on this earth is about to come to an end and he's he's reminding Timothy like Timothy you're different than all of those guys because you followed my teaching and conduct and faith and love and perseverance and whatever else is all listed there. You know, it's really important for us to realize this is that Paul's kind of building up to, to where he's going to close the close kind of like his, the main part of his letter um, at the beginning of chapter four. But in chapter four, he's telling Tim, you know, he's he's saying what where, where he's going. And look what he says in verse eight or verse starting at verse seven. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith in the future. There is laid up for me the the. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you hear what Paul's saying? He's like, Timothy, you continue in the path that you've been on. Be confident in the path that you're going on. Because the path that, that you're going on is the path that I'm on. And it's the path that is of faithfulness that's going to cause us to stand before the Lord on that day. And it's the path that's going to cause us to finish the course. To, to fight the good fight, to receive the crown of righteousness. Like the stakes are high. So make sure you understand what path you should walk and stay on it, is what Paul's saying. And then he gives us nine descriptions, um, this long list of nine descriptions. And, and fortunately for us, like they kind of to help us like remember them, they kind of break out nicely in groups of three. And, in, and, and, you know, so I'm just going to kind of deal with them in groups of threes so that we can kind of focus on the main thing that telling Timothy. But this, what he's telling Timothy is that the path of faithfulness, Timothy, is first characterized, and he lists the first three things by that you followed my teaching, my conduct, and my purpose. Or some of your translations probably read aim in life. And all of those things are telling us that the life of the Apostle Paul was a life that was consistent. It was like integrated it was, um, there was a word that ended in T-Y that I had in my head. I guess it was clear. His life was characterized, here it is, by consistency and clarity. So that the path that he walked was clear for Timothy to follow. And he breaks it into three sections. You followed my teaching. 
He's talking about those things that he said. He's taught the scriptures. He says, like, Timothy, you've, in your life, devoted yourself to following the scriptures, following the, the apostolic teaching of the gospel, and my words have manifested that word to you. You followed my teaching. But then Paul says this, and my conduct. Like, there's, there's this complete integration to be, between what Paul says and what Paul does. His whole life, his conduct, his ethic, the way he responds in situations is consistent with his teaching. And Timothy followed that too. And then he says, and my purpose or my aim in life, it's singular, right? Not my many purposes that have to be running all over the place like a, right? That we, we, we live in that world sometimes where it feels like we just live these fragmented lives where we're running here and we're running there and we're running there and we, we've got all of these priorities that we have and we hope we have enough time to like tack Jesus onto it. You guys know what I'm talking about? No, that, that wasn't Paul's life. Paul was busy. Paul worked hard. But Paul was like, had the singular focus that was directed by his, his love of God that, that was consistent with the teaching of the scriptures that that his life was consistent with so that the path that he walked was singular and focused and clear for Timothy to follow. You know, I think before we move on, I think it's, it probably serves us well to like think about our own lives for a second. We'll see why this is so important later on, but think about your own life for a second. Like if somebody were to, to examine your life, Timothy at this point has known Paul for years. If someone had walked with you for years, from the very, from like time, like, yeah. I mean, in, in, in ministry, they've served together. They've been on journeys together. Would your life be so clear and so focused that, that the path that you're walking is, would be easy for somebody coming behind to follow? Or is it characterized by running over here and running over there and swerving all over the road? You know, because the enemy is going to seek to give, to give diversion and distraction and a false path. And he says, you know what, Timothy? You could follow my conduct and my faith and my, or my conduct and my teaching and my purpose. It was clear, and you've clearly followed it too, and you're laying down a path for someone else to follow. You know, I think oftentimes, like, we don't model what... That, that same consistency that Apostle Paul has. And I'm not, don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying, all right, everybody needs to quit their jobs and go become like missionaries here in town and, and around the county and across the world, even though some of you maybe should. Um, that's not what he's saying, but he's saying like if, in whatever context you find yourself in, if you're a student in school and school's about to ramp up, like is your life going to be clear enough that, that you're following the scriptures, that, that your life reflects that commitment to the scriptures and that you have this one purpose to like love God with all your heart and soul, mind and strength and give yourself for his purposes in the midst of all the things that you're doing, is, is that clear? Or if you're like parents with young kids, like as your kids kind of observe how you prioritize your time and how you prioritize your resources and how you prioritize your, what you do with your home and what you do with all, is the path that you're laying down clear so that somebody like Timothy could follow you? Or does it show that there's like maybe 500 priorities in your life that you're just trying to juggle? You know, you're, you, and you, you older folks, us older folks, I have to include myself in that. <laughs> older folks are always technically, this is the official Creekside position, anybody older than me. So, 
I'm still younger. Uh, <laughs> Kathy's with me. Kathy's with me. But us older folks, you know that. You know, and, and it's hard because I'm old enough now. Where I mean, a couple of years ago, I told one of my daughters this. Like, like she asked, oh, "Are you excited that it's your birthday?" I'm like, "Not really." <laughs> You know, not just because I'm getting older, but because I can look back on my life and there's a lot of regret. And I just wish I would have prioritized things differently and done things differently and lived differently. And, and instead, like, there's, there's way too much swerving in my, in my rearview mirror than there should have been. You know, one of the amazing things about God's grace, though, is I remember this isn't in my notes. It's not on the screen or anything. But Jesus told this parable about these workers that, that went out into the harvest. Some started like early in the day and worked the entire day. And some started like an hour before quitting time and only worked the hour. And, and he paid them the same. You know, one of the, one of the messages of that parable is that it's never too late to start walking the path that you need to walk. You know, if, if you're young, you have this ability to like follow the Lord like your whole life, like Timothy had. If you're older, you can come back. In, you can come back anytime and start to live with a consistency and clarity of teaching and of conduct and of purpose. You know, the next triad is an interesting one. He, um, the next three things that he talks about there. But you follow my teaching, conduct, purpose. Then he says faith, patience, and love. These don't talk to kind of like all the things that he was doing, but it talks to the sincerity of his faith and the sincerity of his devotion to the Lord. Like that, that Paul's like life was consistent, it was clear, and it was sincere. He had this genuine faith, like he trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ above all else. He believed that what he said was true. And, and he was willing to align his life that way, that his reliance on, on what would allow him to stand before God one day wasn't his own righteousness, but it was the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He had genuine faith. And that faith, you know, I'll skip over patience for a second, that, that faith plays itself out in this genuine love. He had this this love for God, this love for people. And if, and if you're new to the Bible, you might not know this, but if you can, you, we know a lot about the Apostle Paul's life in the pages of Scripture. And, and um, his life is characterized by loving people so deeply he was willing to like put his life and his health and his comfort and everything he had at risk for the sake of others. He had clarity of purpose. He had sincerity of faith. He had this genuine love. The path of faithfulness is marked by all those things. You know, and then the middle of it, it's probably the surprising, the surprising thing in this list of three because it has faith and it has love. And in the middle is this word patience. And then the next word after love is perseverance. Or some of your translations read steadfastness. I want to submit to you that... that uh, that, you know, the, the, there's this familiar triad throughout the pages of the New Testament. Faith, hope, and love. You'll see it. If you start looking for it, like as you're reading the New Testament, if you start looking for those things, you'll see faith, hope, and love or variations of them in close proximity to each other all over the place in the scriptures. And, and it's almost like it was shorthand for the early church of what describes genuine Christianity. Genuine Christianity is described as faith and as hope and as love. We have this... 
genuine faith in God. We have this love for him and for other people. And we have hope, which is this rock-solid expectation. It's not hope like, I hope I don't break my leg on the slip and slide today. Right? It's hope as in, like, I have this rock-solid expectation that something in the future is going to come true to the point where it directs my life. And I want to submit to you that, that the word patience in the middle of the list and the word perseverance, um, starting the next list, are Paul's way of expressing that idea of hope. Because the, the word patience is an interesting word because it's, it has to do with putting up with other people. It, has to, it doesn't just mean I'm able to wait without getting frustrated for a specific period of time. It means that I'm able to bear with people's like sins. I'm able to bear with their weaknesses as they impact me. I'm able to bear with like even my circumstances in a way that, but it's mostly directed to people. And it's often directed about God's attitude towards us. God is patient towards us. He doesn't get frustrated with us. He bears like the weight of our like weaknesses on himself. And then in turn, we're to, we're to demonstrate that same patience towards other people. It's, it's the hope of Jesus' return and, and Jesus making all things right and, and the hope of the gospel that gives us that patience for each other. That's why I think patience and perseverance are tied together. Paul's saying, like, Timothy, you've followed my sincere faith, my, my faith and my hope and my love, and it expressed itself in patience towards each other. It expressed itself in not, like, crumbling under people's, like, garbage that they give you because you know what God has done for you. You know, and then the last triad is um, he continues and he starts with that word perseverance. I think steadfastness is actually a better word. It's in, um, it's, it's in, at the end of verse 10, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. So we talked about the, the, the clarity of Paul's life. We've talked about the sincerity of Paul's life. And here we just have the reality that it was a life that was steadfast no matter what came his way. And he says the path of faithfulness is a path that requires steadfastness. That you stick with it. It's the word, it's, it's, this, it's this word that kind of means in different ways that, that, that you're the last one there. You're the last one remaining behind so that when everybody else crumbles away, you're the last man standing, or woman, or young person. When everybody else crumbles, you're steadfast. You persevere. You stick with it. Because, guess what? In this world, there are persecutions and sufferings. He says the path of faithfulness is a path of, that provides like clarity of focus, sincerity of faith, and a steadfastness that remains true no matter what comes your way. You know, I love the, the way the word's translated in, in uh, Revelation. In Revelation, the, the Apostle John, is, is, uh, he says this in Revelation 1 verse 9. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. 
was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Let me just be clear, if, if you don't know church history, John wasn't on Patmos because it was a nice Mediterranean uh, vacation. John was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, and he had been imprisoned and exiled there. And he says, I'm a partner in all of these things that belong to Jesus. What are they? The tribulation and the kingdom and the perseverance, which are in Jesus. Or the, how did it read? I had it in the ESV in my notes. I didn't have it on the right, right one on the screen. The patient endurance, which are in Jesus. You know, God calls us to this life of steadfastness. And when the enemy is throwing at us either pressures to drive us away from the path of faithfulness or distractions, like he says, no, you need to remain steadfast, Timothy. The path of of faithfulness is steadfast. The path that you've been following in me is steadfast. And that's why I know that at the end, I can say I've fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there's a crown of righteousness laid up to me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Every other path is folly and won't take you very far. You know, but then Paul reminds Timothy of this thing, because I think oftentimes, probably Timothy was maybe in the same boat as us, is that, it's like, man, if I'm following Jesus, why are things so difficult? Anybody ever felt that way? Why are things so difficult? And and Paul reminds him, look what he says. He says, I'll start with the word perseverance at the end of verse 10. Perseverance, persecutions, and suffering such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. It's interesting what he does here, because Timothy at this point has, has lived with Paul for years and years and years. He's been with him through all sorts of trials and all sorts of difficulties. And yet, Paul goes back to the very beginning. He goes back to the very beginning of his first missionary journey, and he reminds Timothy of three cities, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And what happened at Antioch was that Paul was preaching the gospel there. This is one of the first cities that he he was really preaching the gospel at. And everybody in that city got upset, and it says they drove him out of the city, which means they sent a limo. They picked him up <laughs> and drove him out, right? And dropped him off. No, I don't know what it was, but it probably wasn't as friendly as that, right? It says in Acts, in Acts this is, you can read this in Acts 13 and 14 after my sermon. Um, but they drove him out of the city of Antioch. Then in Iconium, he goes there. So he flees that city. He goes to another city. He's preaching the gospel there. And then the, the Jews that were, there, that were there developed a plot to execute Paul through stoning. And so Paul like, like flees that city because he's, they actually have a, plat, a plot to assassinate him. And then he, gets to, then he gets to Lystra. And Lystra happens to be Timothy's hometown. So all indications would tell us that Timothy was here at that moment that Paul's referring to. That his mom and his grandma, who we know from the beginning of the book, who are in the faith, um, were, were probably some of the people that were converted early on in the ministry there at Lystra. And what happened at Lystra is that the assassination attempt caught up with Paul. They drug him outside the city and they stoned him. 
which means they threw big, huge rocks at him until they thought he was dead. And it says, and they, and they thought he was dead. So everybody left after stoning him. And Paul wasn't dead. And they, it says that the, the disciples, the people that had responded to the gospel, like a circle around him. And then they snuck him back into the city and then kind of sent him on his way. And you know how Paul describes that? The Lord delivered me. Like, I, you know, if, if I'm signing up for God's deliverance, like, let's pick, <laughs> let's pick the pre-stoning deliverance, not the post-stoning deliverance. But what Paul is telling Timothy, like, that marked the church that Timothy grew up in. That church that Timothy grew up in was, was established literally through the blood shed by Paul. As he, like, was pelted with stones again and again and again. And that, that, that had to have marked the church there. It had to have marked Timothy there. And he's like, Timothy, remember from the very beginning? And then he, he uses the word such as happened to me at those places. Like, that wasn't the end. That was simply the beginning. It was, it was telling us, it was foreshadowing things to come. And you know that, Timothy. But the Lord delivers. He says, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. And then he says this, and indeed all who live godly in Christ Jesus will be delivered. Right? Is that what it says? Read your Bibles. No, you're supposed to say, like, heresy. Like, he doesn't say, like, that's, I think that's how you would anticipate it. Indeed, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will be, and he says this, persecuted. He doesn't say delivered. I'd like it to. He says what persecutions meant me, and he says, and everybody who wants to live like Jesus would live if he was at your school, or live like Jesus would live if he was hanging out with your friends, or live like Jesus would live if he was at your job, or live like Jesus would live if he was hanging out with the people in your neighborhood. That's what he means by godly in Christ Jesus. Anybody that does that should expect persecution. You know, Paul's, Paul's just doing something here that I don't think any of us like, but he's normalizing something that we want to reject, that, that following Jesus in this world is difficult. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, a lot of you are probably like struggling, like, man, my life has been okay. Like, I haven't been persecuted like this morning yet. And, um, and so am I not like following Jesus? That's not what Paul's saying here. The, the, the operative phrase is godly in Christ Jesus. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. If your love of God is such that your deepest desire is to live godly in Christ Jesus, and that's an interesting phrase, that in Christ Jesus, that you're seeking to find your identity in him and be shaped by him and follow him and, and find your purpose in him, then you, you shouldn't be surprised when persecution comes because there was no guarantees when Jesus walked to this earth and there won't be guarantees when you do it either. In fact, Jesus said this in John 15. He put it, Jesus put it this way. He says this, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, which means finding your identity in the world, the world would love you, um, would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. 
Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. What Jesus is saying is this, is that if if you're my disciple, if you find your life in me, if you live like I would in whatever context you find yourself in, don't be surprised if they treat you like they treated me. The question to ask yourself is, is, are there areas of your life where you're not living godly in Christ Jesus? That's not your deepest desire. Maybe your desire is the love of pleasure and you don't want people like the uncomfortableness of, of like relationship. Maybe it's the love of money and you're afraid what it'll do for your job. Maybe it's, the, maybe it's the love of self and you can put a whole bunch of sins under that one. But Paul says, don't be surprised, is what he's telling us, that when you live godly in Christ Jesus, that you're treated the same way that Jesus did. You know, he doesn't sugarcoat the Christian life or the, he doesn't sugarcoat ministry. You know, Marv was like, we were way ahead of schedule this morning, so I'm going to tell an extra story. Bonus story, not going to charge you. But John said that, or whoever, you said it, right? Sermons are like a, a vacuum that everything fills to like, you know, sermons fill whatever space you give them. So, uh, sorry. Uh, I, I was talking to, I was talking, I was walking down the street one day past Los Bocajetes and, and there was a pastor and a, like an intern that he had there um, eating at, at Los Bocajetes right on the sidewalk, you know, on those tables that they have there. And they stopped me. They said, hey, Steve, we have a question for you. And, and, uh, and I was like, sure, what is it? And they said, well, okay, if it was absolutely proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that the resurrection didn't happen, like, would you still up, show up, still show up and do ministry the next Sunday? And I'm like, yeah, I would show up on Sunday. And if it was absolutely proven beyond a shadow of doubt, which it never will be because the resurrection is true. But if it, if it was proven beyond a shadow of doubt, I would show up here and I would say, like, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, like, we're of all men most to be pitied. We've been wasting our time. We've been wasting our life. Go eat, drink, and be merry at our party this afternoon, and never come back here again, <laughs> right? Like, and they both looked at me like I was insane. They're like, really? That's what Paul says. You read it in, in 1 Corinthians 15. He he says he says if I have fought with wild beasts at Ephesus and the resurrection aren't dead, I'm like, what what good is that? Like the Christian life isn't. And, and they, they said, oh, no, we just love doing ministry so much, we would still show up and keep doing it. I was like, okay, whatever. I'm... <laughs> you know, if, if we don't have the truth of the hope of the resurrection and know that in the future there's the crown of righteousness that the, the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, if we don't believe that with a sincere faith and hope... We'll never have the love of God and the love of each other to navigate the things we have to navigate. Because Paul's experience was that maybe it would have been better just to like stay home and, and watch Netflix, right? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
and out of them all the Lord deliver me. That there's, And then he says, yeah, and that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He doesn't give us the guarantee that we're going to be delivered, at least not in the way we expect. He gives us the guarantee that if we're following Jesus, we'll probably be treated like Jesus. But there is deliverance. In fact, Paul, Paul knows there's deliverance because Paul, as he's writing these words, is sitting in prison and he, he's confident. You can tell this from the, everything he says in the book that he knows that this is it. Like he's reached the end of his course and he's going to get beheaded at the, at the end of Rome's sword. This is probably the last words. This book is probably the, well, we don't know this because maybe Timothy saw him before he died, but these are the last words, words that Paul wrote. And look, what he, look how he ends in chapter 4, verse, verse uh, 18. He says, The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, Paul knows that in life or in death, like his life is held by the Lord and that he will deliver him safely into his heavenly kingdom. And he's going to remain on the course. Okay, we'll finish it up on time. Um, Second point this morning is that he, and he's telling Timothy, so be confident in the path that you're on and continue in it. Look what he says there um, in verse 13. He says, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know, he, he describes the evil man and the, and the way he's described like these false teachers and the world that we live in is pretty harsh. Like starting clear back at the end of chapter two, he talks about how, how people have been, they don't know the truth and they're being held captive by the enemy to do his will. He talks about how people have all these misaligned loves and that that there's false teachers who creep into houses and capture like the vulnerable who are weighed down with with sin and are controlled by their different passions. And here he says they're they're not only deceivers, but they're being deceived. And I kind of like view it in my mind as the spiral of self-deception. They've been ensnared by the devil. That's That's how he uses the language at the end of chapter two. They've been, they bought into a lie, and now they're lying to others, and, they're, and the more they talk about it, the more they believe it, and they're just on this downward spiral of self-deception that's going to take them to destruction. Man, that should be a warning to us. There are there's countless like, things out there to send us on that path of deception. Sometimes there can be relational deceptions, like relational snares that Satan uses to get you to believe false things that end up like breaking your relationship with other Christians and breaking your relationship with his church. And, and then like the very context that God has for you, for your growth and health, like you cut yourself off from and you deceive yourself and you're being deceived. And there's all sorts of self-justification that goes along with it. Sometimes there's, sometimes there's a ideological like deception where you believe something and you elevate it higher than the gospel and then um, that becomes the, the, your aim in life and you miss out Jesus Christ and you just get led further and further astray, deceiving and being deceived. Sometimes there's theological deception where, where you get this distorted view of God, this distorted view of what he's doing in, in this world and, and you just wander off. But then he says this, you, however, continue in the things that you've learned and become convinced of. He has two words there, continue in the things that you become convinced of. And 
The enemy is going to want to cause you to doubt, and he's going to want to cause you to divert. But Paul, Paul tells Timothy, continue in this path because you've been convinced of it. And then he says this, knowing from whom you've learned them. It's really interesting. He says, Timothy, you know these things are true because you know, you've seen the life of those who walked ahead of you. You've seen the path that's been blazed for you and, and, and that from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. We're going to have two baptisms today and in both of those baptisms you'll realize that like, oh, there, there's been faithful people like Timothy's grandmother and Timothy's mother who taught the scriptures to, to like people from a young age and that from childhood they know, knew the truths of those things. Because, because Timothy's grandma... And Timothy's mom, we we know this from chapter one, they blazed a clear path for Timothy to follow. Paul blazed a clear path for Timothy to follow. The burden is on us. Like, is our life convincing? Is our life compelling enough that people should continue in it? He says, you know, continue in those things, knowing from whom you have learned them. And become convinced, oh yeah, verse 15, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. There's the path of folly and this path of deception or this path of wisdom that leads us to Christ Jesus. You know, it's interesting, both of these sections end with the phrase, or right at the end of, the, of each section is the phrase, in Christ Jesus. Back up in, in, verse, um, in verse 12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. And then here it says that, that they give us the wisdom for salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. You know, so all, all of us here, we need to be blazing that clear path. You young people, let me just speak to you just briefly for a second. Like one of the cool things to do that, um, in our age today is to like reconstruct your faith, right? Like, and I get it. Right? Like, um, and what I mean by that is like you start to question everything, like you start to like wrestle through. And, and you, I was talking to somebody this week and, and they said, well, I'm a Christian. That just means I'm spiritual and I just want the, I see the best in everybody. Well, maybe um, that's part of it, but like has, it actually has something to do with Christ. That's why his name is in the, you know. <laughs> somebody, yeah, that's real. I didn't say that. <laughs> They said it to me. I was nicer. <laughs> we live in Christ Jesus. We find our salvation in Christ Jesus. And it's word that gives us the wisdom to discover that. You know, so you young people, as you wrestle through it, and like I said, I get it. Like one of the reasons why I love church planting, why we planted Creekside, is that it's so easy for like the church or even for our own lives to like be dragged down by like the tentacles of the Kraken, like around the ship that's just holding like the ship back. And it's these tentacles of like tradition or false doctrine or weird practices or you know what I'm talking about? And sometimes you just need to take the ax and hack those things off. And I get that. So I'm not just saying like, like to be unquestioning, right? But don't make the mistake, if you're wrestling with your faith, don't make the mistake to abandon the scriptures because the scriptures give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. They give you the wisdom that leads to life. 
Like, don't abandon the scripture and don't abandon the testimony of those people that have gone before you. If there's somebody in your life that you've seen them following Jesus for a long time and there's something about their life that's compelling, like, go talk to them. You know, the enemy is going to try to divert you from the scriptures, to distract you from them, to, to isolate you from all those people like Timothy's grandmother and mother and Paul that were able to speak the truth to him. But ultimately... Whatever you do, never take your eyes off of Jesus. And don't, and don't doubt the scriptures because they are the sacred writings where it's able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. So as you wrestle, and it's good to wrestle, but make sure you're including those people that, are, that have walked longer than you, that can speak into that with wisdom. Make sure you're not abandoning the scriptures because from the very beginning, the very beginning of the human race, like Satan's temptation was what? Is anybody? Yeah. Did God really say? Right? That's a, that's a really fun question to ask these days. Like, no, oh, he didn't really say this, and he didn't really say that, he didn't really say that. Actually, he did. Just read it. Right? Marv, why don't you come up so we can close? I almost thought that was you slipping out. I was like, oops, like a bitter stall. Um, <laughs> why don't you come on up? You can close this. You know, and as, as I close, I just want to challenge all of us here, like to that life of faithfulness that Paul is talking about, that we, that we need to be, that we need to be walking with that clarity in our life and our, that consistency in our life so that people get, it's obvious what our priorities are and that our priorities are are that that we love God and we love Jesus Christ. We need to be operating with that sincerity of faith and not just playing the religious game, that we're trusting Jesus, that we're hoping um, in, 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 in his return, that we love his appearing, that we're loving other people. And then we need to have that steadfastness, like don't be moved off of the truth. Don't be moved off of the path of devotion to the Lord because, like I said, every other path is just going to end in folly. But, you know, we want want to get to the end of our life where we can say, like, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. In the future, there's laid up for me this crown of righteousness, which, which the Lord will award to not only, like, to all who has loved his appearing. Like, love that. Like, like, let your life be controlled by the love of Jesus Christ and the hope of his return. So, Marv, why don't you close this, then I'll close this in prayer. Father, I just thank you for Jesus Christ who um, blazed the perfect trail for us and how he um, endured the cross and despised his shame. He offered himself up as the perfect sacrifice so that we could enter into your presence and be forgiven and and walk in the newness of life that you give us. And so, Father, I just ask for any of us here, um, I guess for all of us here, as as there's areas in our life where I'm sure we need to um, refocus and realign and recommit um, to following you greater, I just ask that you would expose those things to us, that you'd cause us to repent of them and, and turn to you and, and walk faithfully before you. Just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we close, let me just close with this in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. The writer of Hebrews tells us this. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus 
the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You guys are dismissed. Lord, one will see you this afternoon.